electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Courtney Reagan filling in for Melissa Lee tonight. And tonight's trader lineup, we have Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, and Tim Seymour. Tonight on Fast, big tech under fire. Not one, not two, but six antitrust bills hitting the House floor today. But will they have any impact on the industry and will investors care? Plus, fueled up gains. Crude oil posting its highest close in nearly three years and bringing, bringing the energy sector along with it. But does the rally continue from here? And what's the best way to play it, if so? And we've got a trader triple play from the streaming wars to a burger bonanza. We'll bring you the three headlines that got stocks moving in a big way today. But we start with the stealth rally for Twitter, the social stock flying for a fifth straight day, now erasing the losses since its last earnings report. It's also now up more than 30 percent from its May lows. And it wasn't the only social stock climbing today. Check out the moves in Snap, Yelp, Pinterest and Match Group. Guy, you've been watching this move in Twitter. What do you make of it? Stealth. I didn't even realize the moves. Yeah, well, now that you look at it, you realize some Pinterest, all these stocks got whacked in early spring and they're starting to get off the mat a little bit into earnings for Twitter. It's July 22nd. I think people are going to finally realize, you know, what these stocks sold off too hard into that April print, May print, and they're going to rally into earnings. I actually think the Twitter into their July 22nd earnings can can test that all time high around 80 bucks or so. And oh, by the way, I think Dan Nathan would agree to this. Twitter Spaces is going to be a tremendous driver for them going forward. Forget about Clubhouse. It's all about Twitter Spaces, Dan. Nathan. Very interesting. Yes. What do you, what yeah, do you so back in spaces? February, they, they held an analyst meeting and they talked about um, different ways to monetize the existing users that they have had. You know, they, they really one of the reasons why I think that the company has been put or at least the stock in the penalty box is they're not showing the level of user growth that, say, some of their peers are. And then when you look at the revenue growth on the actual users that they have relative to Snap, for instance, they're growing sales at about 25% a year, Snap at about 50% a year, but their price-to-sales um, ratios reflect that. You know, Twitter's only trading about 11 times, and I think that was one of the reasons why when the stock was in the mid-50s after that disappointing print, we're saying, we think you can buy that here relative to, let's say, Snap trading about 25, 26 times sales, you know? So I would disagree a little bit with Guy Adami. I think you fill in that gap. If you get somewhere close to 70, I think you probably take profits here because expectations, once again, are going to get really high. A lot of great stuff coming out. They're going to tell us how they're going to better monetize spaces, whether it be, uh, I think spaces has the potential to turn into the first micro podcasting app. And I think that a lot of people who are prone to podcast or listen to podcasts, their social graph is mapped to Twitter. And I think that's why they win out over Clubhouse and all the other competitors. Very interesting. Tim, of course, I don't want to get into a political debate. This is not the place for that. But when uh, former President Trump went off the Never. platform, some wondered if Twitter was still going to have the reach that it did, that it does. Stockholders are clearly voting for, for Twitter today. What do you make of these moves? Well, look, the, the, the move in Twitter had everything to do with that investor day that, that, that really, I thought, set unrealistically high expectations. So, you know, when they talked about doubling ad revenues, multiple new products um, by 2024 for a company that we, you know, we've struggled to see them monetize. 
Um, I, I just think that you got way ahead of yourself. And I think the stock now up 35 percent in 28 sessions off of really the lows. And, and that, that Q1 print wasn't bad. Dan pointed out like the revenue line was 25 FX neutral, about 27 percent. Uh, the ad growth was 30 percent. That's great, except for the fact that Q1 ad growth out of Google and Facebook w- was extraordinary. So so relative to guys that, you know, honestly, they can't even play in that sandbox. Um, I think they were punished that much more. Twitter relative to itself um, and some of these initiatives. And, and I, I think that's really the story. I, I, I like the story. I, I, I think there's a dearth of social media uh, investment allocation choices for institutions, especially. And I think Twitter is a name they want to own. And I think the valuation here isn't difficult. Guy, when you look at some of these other names, I mean, Match Group up 13 mm-hmm. percent. That one actually surprises me, too. Any of these other names you want to dabble in? Pinterest is the one. I mean, yeah. again, all these stocks had the huge runs. I think they all made all-time highs. Dan probably knows exactly when. April, May, they all sort off anywhere between 25 and 30 percent. Now I think people are realizing with rates sort of stabilizing in a 10-year on 1.5 percent, they're paying up for growth again. I mean, it got away from growth. Now they're back to it. And these companies, too, have that growth. So I think in, in order of opportunity, I think Twitter, to me, still makes sense. I hear what Dan is saying, but I think the one that people aren't focused enough on continues to be Pinterest. Pinterest, though, I'm surprised that Pinterest hasn't done a little better job monetizing its relationships with retailers. When you see something that you like, it's very annoying to me when I go to a pin and I want to buy it and it's no longer available at that retailer. I mean, don't you think there's opportunity They've there? talked they about, have- no, there's no question about that. They've talked, we've had Rick Heitzman on the show, early Pinterest, as Dan Nathan knows, and he talks about exactly that. And I think they will absolutely figure that out. And again, it's, to me, it's never been about daily average users, monthly average users, about the growth rate they're seeing and their ability to monetize certain things. And I think for Pinterest, to your point, they still have a lot of levers they can pull. So, Dan, if you want to take profits in Twitter, are there other names on this board that we're looking at that you think there might be still opportunity and room to run? Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, Guy just mentioned, you know, we're going to get Q2 earnings um, for most of these names in the next month or so. And it really depends how far they run into it, because expectations and Tim's point about that February analyst meeting, they got really high. You know, these are not things that you're going to start to see. um, And usually costs go up associated with uh, kind of some new products and new offerings like that. So um, to me, I think uh, you could see Pinterest, which has been basing. It's been trading in this wide range, uh, make a move. I think you'll see a lot of these moves make a, a back to their prior highs. One name that I do like here, and it's kind of related, and they're doing something in the live social audio space, um, is Spotify. And Spotify just mentioned that they announced a clubhouse competitor. We know Facebook's doing it. Obviously, um, Twitter has it. And I suspect that they're going to gain some traction there, especially if they see it as a tool for podcasters, because we know that, that Spotify in particular has really leaned heavily into podcasting. I think there's uh, multiple forms in which they can do it. So Spotify in around 250 looks interesting to me. So this is the second time you brought up podcasting here tonight when you're talking about Twitter and spaces. If you want to do a podcasting play, would you go to Spotify or would you look at a Twitter? Right now, I mean, Spotify seems like almost a pure play. If you go and look at their Q1 report from a couple of months ago, I think they said uh, the term podcasting like 26 times on that report. They are <laughs> focused in it. We know that they are um, they're acquiring all different sorts of tech around advertising, around podcasting, and then getting exclusive deals. Joe Rogan and one of your friends, the Kardashians, and some other stuff. They're guy I mean, so like <laughs> that seems to be a big Whoa. thing. I just think that Twitter, um, in particular, why they are probably going to get 
the most bang for their buck with spaces is that if you think about what does well on Twitter, it's live. We've been hearing them say live, live, live for a very long time. I think the ability to narrate live alongside, whether it be sports or entertainment or politics, that sort of thing, I think that's gonna, we're going to see that play out over the next year, and I think Twitter's the place to do it. Before you go any further, just yeah. let's clarify. Although the, yeah. all the Kardashians are huge Fast Money fans, yeah. Dan, as you know, I don't have any relate. I've never met any of them. Well, you have a them. favorite Kardashian, let's be frank. I do, but I don't want. But you know, they watching the show, right. and okay. that would hurt so many okay. people's feelings. I don't want it. I mean, I don't roll right. that way, Dan. Got it. Right. Yeah. Right. Just saying. <laughs> Tim, whether or not you have a relationship with the Kardashians, uh, would you like to button up this conversation before we move on here? Uh, yeah, there's so many places to go about my relationships <laughs> with the Kardashians, but it's probably not best for this TV. I, you know, I, I think the social media space, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about Snap. Um, Snap's been outperforming the group and, and the valuation there is, is difficult. But when you look at their sales growth, you know, the delta on that is, is superior. Piper Jaffe did a recent report that was very interesting, and they, they measured the hiring, so the digital ad hires of the major social media companies, so Snap, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, um, as a percentage of overall employees. And Snap is growing the fast, so job openings, job hiring. Um, and they're adding them in sales. Twitter's in second place. Pinterest is in third and, and down the list. But an interesting look at, at really where they are beefing up on the front line. Uh, you know, the valuation here, um, look, this was a stock that, that you know, pre-COVID was, was really struggling to, to prove its business model and, and, frankly, has been one of the most extraordinary stories of, of any stock that we talk about. Um, so the valuation is difficult here, but their growth is clear, uh, and I think they're going to continue to grow. Look at that snap up more than 5%. I don't want to brag, gentlemen, but I have actually met Miss Kris Jenner and the three have. oldest Kardashian sisters, have. and they are all lovely. So I couldn't pick a favorite <laughs> if I had to. Big yes. Tech also in focus today on Capitol Hill as the House Judiciary Committee votes on key antitrust legislation for the sector. For more on what we know, let's bring in Elon Moy. Hi, Elon. Hi, Courtney. Well, the committee has now passed two of the six antitrust bills. One would raise fees for mergers and increase funding for the FTC. The other one allows state AGs to choose the court in local antitrust cases. But the most controversial measures are up next. They deal with acquisitions, self-preferencing, platform dominance, and data portability. And the ranking Republican on the committee, Congressman Jim Jordan, said these proposals give too much power to government regulators. Bills that supposedly go after big tech being written by big tech, the same big tech who can sit on the secret technical committees advising the FTC, the FTC who says we should use antitrust law for all kinds of things. Wow. We're going to pass this stuff. What we want to deal with is the censorship of conservatives. Now, clearly the big tech companies are worried as well. The New York Times reporting that Apple CEO Tim Cook personally called House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to voice his opposition to this package of bills. Now, we've reached out to Pelosi's office for comment. We're waiting to hear back. But in a statement, Apple said, quote, we are concerned that many provisions of the recent package of antitrust reform legislation would create a race to the bottom for security and privacy while also undermining innovation and competition. And that's similar to the response we've heard from the other other companies that are being targeted here, Amazon, Facebook, and Google in particular, they say consumers are not going to be happy when they realize the platform's most popular services might go away if these bills become law. Courtney? Thank you so much, Elon. Let's trade this one now. I mean, this is something we have talked about because we have to keep talking about it. But today we've seen some forward action on two of these six proposals. Dan, 
who do you think is most in jeopardy, if anyone at all? Or is this just what happens down in D.C., but no action is really going to be harmful to these big guys? Well, it, it doesn't seem like investors at least think that it will. Okay. I mean, if you think about this right now, um, Facebook, Amazon, <laughs> Google, Microsoft literally are trading at all-time highs, and Apple within a whisper, as Guy might say, of an all-time high. Those five stocks make up seven $8 trillion in market cap. And, you know, if you think about their contribution to our country, and, and, and listen, you can take this from, from different ways. Believe it or not, there's some things that I agree with what Jim Jordan um, had to say about that. I just don't think we're going to find a consensus, um, you know what I mean, as a country. And I think at the end of the day, um, you know, investors don't seem to care about that sort of stuff. I know Guy would say maybe ESG investors might care um, someday. Um, but, you know, if you think about even in Amazon, they hired hundreds of thousands of people in the last year during the pandemic, and people don't seem to be too worried about the privacy issues. So at the end of the day, if the government cannot prove how these companies are harming consumers, I just don't think there's going to be any hefty um, deregulation. I agree. I mean, you just it's a multiple thing. You put a 25 multiple, Courtney, on the 15 and a half, 16 dollars Facebook's going to earn. You got a 385, $390 stock, and I'll stand by that. And I've said it last night to you. I'll say it again. There's nothing I like about Facebook, nothing at all, except the stock. And we learned all we needed to learn about a year and a half or so ago when a couple of their advertisers left. Nobody left in terms of customer base. All the advertisers came back. And here we are today. But Dan makes a good point, and I'll make it again. If, in fact, at some point, Facebook falls under the ESP auspices, that's the existential risk. Short of that, I think the stock goes higher. Well, for more on how today's House vote will impact big tech, let's bring in Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. He knows more about this than I'll ever forget. So, Gene, thank you so much for uh, joining us here and talking about this with us. Which of the names do you think might be most in trouble that are caught in the crosshairs? Is it Apple? Clearly, Tim Cook is worried if he's placed a call to uh, Speaker Pelosi's office. Uh, Corny, before I answer that question, I want to kind of lay the groundwork that I think The central question here for congressional action is consumer well-being. Are consumers being harmed? And at the center of that, that's really what dictates antitrust law. And there's two forms of that uh, embodies. One is price gouging, and second is lack of innovation. And I think more broadly, consumers love these companies more than traditional companies. And uh, I'm going to get to your answer your question right now about Apple specifically is that the reason why consumers love it is that these companies give them utility just across all four of them. There's significant, whether it's entertainment or productivity, better value for your money. And that has caused a lift to broader society. I think the congressman's uh, comments uh, made uh, made some light of that. And so when you think about risk profile, Apple has been more proactive. They recently came out with a white paper talking about sideloading, which is the ability to have an app store run outside of the iPhone ecosystem and why that would not make sense. That's something that's on the table here with some of this legislation. I think the key question, again, whether it's sideloading or any of these, is is the consumer being harmed? I think the answer is no. I think consumers are better off. And I think when you put that together... Uh, versus uh, trying to triangulate which one is most at risk. I think uh, um, that they're all collectively going to breathe a sigh of relief in the years to come. The bite, uh, I think, is going to be less than the bark. 
It's funny. I, I, I often think about Amazon and how much Amazon has changed retail and consumers really are the beneficiaries. I mean, we have more price transparency. It's really forced the rest of the industry to up their game when it comes to delivering us things quickly and at a lower cost. And so it's hard to make that antitrust argument just just on on that one part of it. But of course, they have many different silos of businesses and they have AWS and uh, their advertising businesses is, is very large if you separate that out on its own. So if you look at an Amazon, is that a company that regulators would have to scrutinize more closely because it has so many different silos that could stand on their own? So maybe looking at the four that are in play here, I think that the the ones that are probably at most risk are Facebook and Google, uh, specifically how they can use one platform to leverage uh, their other platforms, whether it's uh, Google search to YouTube, Facebook to Instagram, for example, very straightforward. So if, uh, if I was going to say I'm going to be wrong, if you're going to take the perspective, I'm going to be wrong, that there is going to be something that's going to come out of this, who's most at risk? I think it is uh, Facebook and Google, followed by uh, Amazon, and I think Apple is at the least risk of all four. Hey, Gene, so we know for the last couple of years, obviously, these major tech companies have been staring down the barrel of the potential of this regulation. Um, we haven't seen a lot of big tech M&A. Do you think that is something that will continue to stay on the sidelines until we get more visibility on this? Or um, at some point, don't we have to start seeing some deals happen here because and really test um, the metal of these regulators? I think we're going to see more. You're right. Uh, this has kind of been going on for, call it, 18 months in, in, a, in a more rapid fashion. I think, you know, probably the biggest piece of M&A that we've seen is probably Amazon, MGM, something something like that. So there is uh, uh, M&A that, you know, that's not closed. So there is M&A that's circulating out there. I, I think the way this plays out, we're going to continue to hear this. I, I hope to join you again on further segments when mm-hmm. uh, there will be new talk about this. And I think that the arc is going to be the same, is that this will probably slowly fade into uh, something that uh, gives these companies the movement to do M&A like you're talking about and to continue to better consumers. So agree with that. I think we're probably going to continue to see a lull in some of the big M&A over the next year, but we'll pick up over time. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures, thank you for joining us. Let's trade this. Thank Tim, you. I want to go to you. If, if something does happen to go into play with the self-preferencing, which of these names do you think could be most at risk? If Apple is not allowed to preference its services above all others, does that make that ecosystem less valuable? Look, I, I don't know. I mean, you can make an argument that it's really Google, uh, especially okay. in search engines or maybe even Amazon for, for, for vendors. So um, the other thing we just didn't talk about, and I'll, I'll leave it for another chat, is if you broke these companies up, um, would some of them be a lot more valuable with the pieces? And that's part of the conversation we have. But look, this, these headlines, we've been dealing with these for a long time. Um, they go nowhere. What about Microsoft? Anyone want to just buy that one if that one's not in the crosshairs as much as the others? We're approaching $2 trillion, Mr. The, Yeah, the knock on Microsoft for the last year and a half, two years, incorrectly, has been valuation, and it continues to grow in valuation. So, yeah, I mean, I think Microsoft, I'm not going to say they're impervious to this, but out of the list of the names we just mentioned, I think they're the least at risk. So, yeah, if, if you're worried about that, Microsoft should go to the head of the class and things of not to worry about from one of these FMAGA complex that Dan coined. Almost two years ago. Yeah, Courtney, just to be clear, it's Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that for me and for others that might be new to the show and new to that one. So coming up next, vaccine makers under pressure after critical health warning by the CDC. We'll bring you the details and what it means for the stocks. 
plus an energy surge. Crude hitting its highest level in more than three years. And one technician says the oil rally is just getting started. We'll explain what he means. There's more Fast Money after this. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Vaccine makers falling today after the CDC warned there is a, quote, likely association between a rare heart condition in adolescents and young adults after receiving a COVID-19 vaccine. More than 1,200 cases of heart inflammation have been reported in young people who have received doses of Pfizer and Moderna vaccines. That's out of more than 300 million shots administered, however. Tim, what do you make of stocks right now in this vaccine world? Moderna down 4%, Pfizer down more than 1% on this news. Overdone? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yes. I, I, I just think that the stocks are, are reacting maybe very short term to headlines. I think that, you know, you didn't need a lot of reason to rally Moderna off those 225, you know, levels that was, you know, essentially that double top that we hit. I, I, I think, look, stocks had an extraordinary run back uh, and incredibly, uh, I, you know, the, the, the operational leverage, but the profitability inherent um, truly in, in this this vaccine for this company, as opposed to for for Pfizer, and really still what we don't know in terms of where the government's going to lean in uh, on on these companies and and make these drugs a lot more affordable or push them through straight. Uh, I, I think the the move in Moderna um, has just been you know an extraordinary one, and I think this is part of the reaction here. I think for Pfizer, uh, again, these headlines, um, as you just pointed out, relative to the uh, you know, the, the statistical set. Sure. Um, I don't think they're that significant. It doesn't mean that these aren't awful things to hear about and for those that are going through it. Um, but but people are not scared of these vaccines. Right. Twelve hundred out of three hundred million is definitely a, a big number when you're looking at the total population that's received it. Uh, but Guy, what do you make about the opportunity for some of these stocks as the rest of the world hopefully eventually gets access to these vaccines? So many parts of the world still don't have them. Um, what does that mean for the companies? Moder- Moderna is the winner, but we've said that now for quite a long time. You know, Karen was on this very early, but we've all sort of come around to understand that you know, the winner out of all this in terms of stocks will be continues to be Moderna today. 
today notwithstanding, I happen to think people are just looking for an opportunity to sell a stock that's just maybe gotten ahead of itself in the short term. If you sold J&J on the back of this, I also think you're making a mistake. My sense is Tim will agree. I mean, you put a market multiple on J&J, and you're talking about a, probably a $220 stock, and here we are at 160 So, you know, if you're trying to, again, put them in order, Moderna wins here, J&J a close second. So if it's if if uh, guy is right and this is just an opportunity to sell and take some profits, do you get in on Moderna here, Dan? Well, if you look at Moderna, I don't know if you have a chart right there. It was trading this really wide range. And guy, you were like Johnny on the spot with this thing. Every time it got towards that bottom end over the last six months, you said you buy it because it's not just about COVID. It's about sure. this technology and about their ability to kind of repeat this sort of behavior. You look at that there. It's a beautiful breakout. It's consolidating there, down five percent today. I just say this: with all that cash in their balance sheet and their ability to kind of look beyond uh, the pandemic and, and obviously beyond uh, boosters and where they can apply this technology to other drugs, I suspect that they may be in the game for some M&A. They got nearly, you know, seven and a half billion dollars in cash. And that could give you the opportunity if they do a cash and stock deal and the stock were to come in to get back into it. But again, I, I'm, I don't buy breakouts like this, uh, especially ones where there's lots of tape bombs. Um, but I would also say Pfizer under 40 is interesting to me. Hmm. OK, we're going to watch that level then. We, and we're just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Coming up, oil surging to its highest level since 2018. And one top technician says the rally could pump even higher. He'll explain. Plus, Nicola kicking it into high gear after some bullish comments from a new partner. What the CEO of CNH said to drive the stock higher. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crude continuing its climb today, notching its highest close since 2018. And your next guest says oil could keep pumping even higher. Let's bring in Rob Schloimer of RBC Wealth Management to chart it out. Hi, Rob. Hi, thanks for having me on. So look, I mean, oil's had a pretty big move here. I think if uh, we look at the very long-term chart, it's always important to get that longer-term perspective. That move above 66, 67 was fairly significant from a technical standpoint. It reversed the downtrend that was in place from 2009 through to 2021, uh, and obviously through those levels that we hadn't seen since 2018 and 19. So fairly significant uh, moves to make a higher high. So where does it go from here? Well, on a, on a technical basis, your next key level takes you to those 2018 uh, highs around that $77 level. And that's roughly a 50% retracement of that entire move from 150 down to, well, let's just call it zero for now. And then the next level from there is probably closer to 90 bucks. So I still think there's more upside here. I expect to see oil pause and consolidate around that $77 level. But the rest of the energy space has a lot going on in it as well. For example, if we look at the natural gas chart, pretty significant move there today as well. And that's been in a range since the fourth quarter of 2020, around that 340 level. So I think if you get a move above 340, you've got more upside towards that $4 level. And that I think will continue to activate the entire energy space. So you know, what do you do about this? It's a small sector. It's got a lot of pressure from ESG. 
It's not that significant in the benchmarks. A lot of institutional managers don't really need to own it, but it can add a lot of alpha to the portfolio. And I think for generalists, you better look at some of the ETFs. And I would start with the XOP E&P ETF. And what's interesting here is it, it is now bumping up against its next resistance level around the fourth quarter of the 2020 highs, or sorry, 20, uh, the 2020 highs. So, or sorry, the first quarter of 2020 highs. And the next level from there is about 125, roughly taking you into the 2018 highs. Those are some pretty significant levels from here. The trend is still positive, but what's significant is if you look in the bottom panel of that XOP chart, and that's the uh, ENP ETF relative to energy, and that's where the leadership is. And it's an unusual cycle to see those ENP stocks leading the sector, say, versus the oil service names, which would be the next chart. And there's still more upside in the oil service ETF as well. I think that OIH can move towards that 272 level and ultimately towards 370. But I would point out on the bottom panel, it's not showing the same type of leadership that we've seen in other cycles. In other words, generally we see the oil service lead. It's not doing so this sector, at least not as, as much as the uh, EMP names are. So I continue to focus or at least overweight for energy exposure, exposure in the EMP area. Rob, you broke that down really well. Crude, more than almost any other commodities, wanted overshoots to the downside. My sense is we're in about to get to the overshoot to the upside. Is that what you're, what you're looking at as well? A lot of people now talking about $100 crude. It's not that unreasonable. I mean, oil tends to be or energy tends to be one of the last sectors to move in a, in a general market cycle. So lots of concerns about inflation. Remember, oil was at 150 We had no inflation in the market. Uh, to me, oil can get towards that $91 level. It's not unreasonable to think it gets to 100, 110 as well. Let's take it one step at a time, one technical level. 77 is the net first level, 91 is the next level. Rob, thank you so much for charting that out and going through all of that. I would have been shocked if someone would have told me that oil would be at almost $74 a year ago today, considering uh, how far it's come. I don't think 90 exactly. is out of the question either. Thank you very much. All right, okay. let's trade this. Stan, Nathan, what do you make of the energy sector? Why do you look so surprised? Well, listen, he did a great job on that. I just say that it seems like one of the more crowded trades within okay. the energy and material spaces, and I get the reasons why. But let me just tell you this. The dollar started going higher a little bit here, Guy. I know mm-hmm. that you were thinking thinking that we're going to make some lower lows. Dollar goes too much higher here. I don't know where oil's going. And then I look at the large integrated names. I know this is definitely in Tim's... in his uh, wheelhouse here, but I look at Exxon. It broke down at 65 bucks. That was the low back in 2018, and then it broke down in early 2020. It went to about 30. Now it's back here um, at 64 and a half. That looks like a massive technical resistance level here. I want to lean against that. I want to take the other side of this oil trade. Big cap integrated names, I understand, but Tim, who's been on this now for a while, Courtney, and correct, you know, the oil service names. And Schlumberger, I think, got initiated at Goldman Sachs middle of May around $38 price target. And I'll stay with it. I think it goes there. I think they initiated Baker Hughes as well with a buy. Those names work. And some of these levered names like Phillips 66, which I think closed around 88 today, I think that goes to $100 into earnings, which still would be a reasonable valuation. So I do think oil overshoots to the upside. The tailwind it had been a weaker dollar. Dan is right. It will be a bit of a headwind, but not enough to keep it from going there, in my opinion. Tim, forgive me. It seems like you are the expert of all experts, and I should have gone to you first. Get in on this trade. 
No, it's okay. Um, look, I, I'll be a broken record on this. Uh, the, the major thing that investors should be focused on is that these companies are run differently than they were five years ago, let alone 10 years ago. So I, I think if you, and it's clear to me that if you look at the price of oil relative uh, and the ratio of the OIH or the XOP or even the XLE uh, to the price of crude, they're absolutely underperforming. There's no sense of conviction uh, that these companies are not, are not you know, going to destroy more capital. They're not. Um, the best thing that ever happened to the oil sector is the EV trade. I'm telling you, uh, the fact of the matter is that the Biden energy policy is very bullish for investing in the energy sector. And we're seeing that. But it, you know, look, look at and graph uh, where the OIH is um, relative to the oil price, especially relative to pre-COVID, especially to two years ago. You can't tell me these aren't better run companies, more efficient, more technology um, and, and have adapted to the current status quo in terms of energy policy. So I, I think there's more to go. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We're going to button it up there for that topic, but still coming up, we do have a trader triple play. We're going to break down three of the biggest moves in the market today and how you should trade them, plus shares of KB Home on the move on the back of its earnings results. We'll give you the numbers. There's more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's time for a trader triple play. Let's kick it off with big moves in Viacom, CBS, and Roku. The stock's jumping on a report that CBC parent company Comcast is considering a possible tie-up or acquisition of the companies. Now, Comcast told our Julia Borston that the report is, quote, pure speculation, but the stock still posted big gains, so we're going to talk about it. Dan. Viacom. I mean, it, okay. it, it seems like, you know, we've been talking about this now for months and months, and this doesn't have to be one of those deals where people are looking back and saying, oh, why did AT&T do that? Or why did Disney do that with Fox or whatever? I mean, this is literally almost a tuck-in acquisition. Now, granted, it would be 25% of the enterprise value of Comcast, but it fits in, I think, very well here. So Roku, I would probably be less excited about. I mean, that seems to be, I don't know, I've kind of used the expression before. I, I want to throw that Roku thing on the, like, the trash heap along with like TiVo and stuff like that over the year. I just don't get it. I don't get what it does. Um, but I think the content with uh, CBS um, and Viacom makes a lot of sense with Comcast. Okay. So I think we're moving on now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it works. Okay. So we're going to check out the move in Nikola. <laughs> Shares of the EV maker accelerating today after the CNH industrial CEO called the company, quote, a strong partner on CNBC's very own Mad Money. Take a listen. I came into this um, this job very skeptical of that partnership, and I have been proven completely wrong about my skepticism. They're a um, and actually a very strong partner for us, and we're excited what we can do with the first battery electric products, but ultimately with hydrogen down the road. So has Nikola put its troubles behind it, Guy? I don't think so. I mean, the stock has now doubled effectively since the lows we made in the middle of April, so from 9 to 18. My instincts say you take the money and run because there's so many tape bombs left in this story. A lot of people think what your point just made, all the bad news is behind them. I'm not one of those people. I will tell you, this could become one of those stocks that the WSB Reddit crowd gets behind, and one day you wake up, it's 25, and the next day it's 40. Absolutely in this environment that's possible, given the short interest, what have you. I'm more inclined to take the money and run here, Courtney. Hmm, That's an interesting one. That chart uh, could suggest, yeah, that your theory would play out. Lastly, we're going to check out Shake Shack. Shares of the burger chain piping higher on the back of news. The company will expand its China footprint. The Shack planning to open 63 new locations for a total of 79 restaurants in the country by 2031. I wish they would just bring back the fair shake at my Shake Shack. That's beside the point. Tim, what do you think of this move in Shake Shack, and would you be a buyer here? 
Well, love the shack. Nothing like China headlines in terms of growth and expansion to get a fast food chain going. And we've seen this trade before. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's fair. I think, you know, again, we're talking about 10 years. Um, so, I, you know, this isn't a build out overnight. But the fact is, they're seeing success in China. The brand continues to grow. And one of the big issues was, you know, could Shaq really grow outside of its core market and, and some of those high density locations in New York? It, it has. It, it clearly has. It's a great product. Uh, it's not a cheap stock. Uh, after a 40 percent pullback, though, the, the tech Technical, uh, you know, the chart, this chart looks very interesting because if you take this stock back five years, you've had these multiple periods of massive surges uh, only to be, you know, put down by probably some some relatively cautious growth outlook that this, the multiple can't uh, support. So you got a case here where I think, again, after a major pullback, this is very good news. Ten new territories also in the next decade. And that's part of the story, getting the story out. Very well run. Uh, we've had this company on fast like the story. Uh, before you go to break, I know you want to, you brought it up, Courtney, so we got to, there's a Shake Shack like across the street, it's a beautiful Thursday night. What are you getting when you go to Shake Shack? Okay, I get a Shack burger, because uh-huh. I like the Shack sauce, sure. and then I will get the fries, but only with the cheese sauce, because otherwise, they're just too plain. And that I like shake the fair that you shake, mentioned? The, what the fair, shake. fair shake. It's like a coffee, like fair trade coffee, but they don't have it anymore, not, at least not at the location I go to, and they don't have peanut butter anymore, so then third choice, cookies and cream. There you go. Just saying. Put a bow on that. Yep. Nice. Coming up. We're all over the after hours action and shares of KB Home. We're digging into that company's earnings report. That's after the break. Plus, knock, knock. That's FedEx at the door. The delivery company on deck with earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you how options traders are betting on that one when fast money returns. Miss a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on KB Home. Shares are on the move in the after hours. Let's get to Diana Olick for the breakdown. Hi, Diana. Hi, Courtney. Yeah, kind of a split for KB. A beat on EPS, but a miss on revenue. The stock's down about 4% in after hours on that revenue miss. That said, it beat on backlog, which jumped 126% in value from a year ago. CEO Jeff Metzger said in the release, with a backlog value above $4 billion, we are poised to deliver a substantial increase in revenue this year at solid margins that we anticipate will contribute to a return on equity of roughly 20%. And as with other home builders, the price of a KB home is going up 13% higher in Q2. That is slightly less than the 18% jump reported in overall new home prices in May by the U.S. Census today. KB reported net orders up 145% to the highest Q2 reading in 14 years. It also reported an improved cancellation rate from 10% in Q1 to 9% in Q2. Now, going forward for the builders, it's all about labor and supply chain issues. There was a sharp 76% jump in May in the number of homes that were sold but not yet started, according to the census. That shows builders are either delaying starts due to higher costs for materials or due to supply chain delays or labor issues, or really probably all of them. Now, regarding materials, Metzger noted on the analyst call, we are relying on longstanding relationships with contractors and trade partners to mitigate delays. KB also announced it's expanding to Boise, Idaho, which is seeing a huge influx of new (laughs) residents from California. Court? That's a very interesting one. Boise, Idaho. I can see not wanting to pay the California taxes, but Idaho. Thank you, Diana. Sure. All right, let's trade this one. Mr. Seymour, I want to go to you first. Is KB a name that you want to look at if you're looking at the housing trade? Prices up 13%, but I bet they'll get people to pay him. 
No, I, I tell you what, I, I, first of all, within the home builders, KBH is more of a smaller cap name. I, I think Lennar is, is really the name. We've had, you know, we've had numbers from them. We've gotten a, a reaffirmation of, of an incredible order book. Uh, I think the story is affordability for the sector. I think that, the, you know, the home builders have been interest rate sensitive, although as rates have dropped recently, um, they haven't really picked up uh, the, the baton. I think demand remains very strong. Uh, I think the ability for a lot of folks to afford these homes is, is very difficult. I, I think there's a lot of equity that's being built up in existing homes, and I continue to believe that through the home improvement stores, it's a better way to play it. Uh, but if I was going to be in the larger home builders, I like Lenar. What do you make of the KB home story, Guy? Or you want to move to Boise, Idaho? Boise, Idaho. Let me tell you, something. Idaho I is bet beautiful. It's beautiful. Outstanding. Never been there, but I bet it's nice. Great fishing in Idaho. Not that anybody cares except me, but I will tell you, I'd go to Idaho like that, Dan Nathan. And I would go to KBH as well. Diana gave you the numbers. She's right on the revenue. I think what concerned people is the third quarter guide on revenue. I think that's where the hiccup is. I think you buy the stock, though. I mean, if you look at the backlog, you look at improving margins. I think this stock on the sell-off is worth a look. Really? Sure. I think this is, sounds exactly how the home builders sounded like 2006 and 2007, to be very honest with mm. you. And I'll just say, put up the H- XHB, that's the ETF that tracks the home builders, There's a lot of retailers, a lot of home improvement thing. Draw a line from March 2020, attach it to the March 2021 low, and you are sitting right on that uptrend. That thing acts like death. Oh, made that reversal. What do you call it? An island reversal up there at 80 bucks, yeah. the XHB guy? I don't like it here. I think it breaks that uptrend, and I think the housing trade is over. That's what makes markets, Courtney. That's what makes markets. That's yeah, true. Tune into Fast Money every night. Five, five o'clock. o'clock. Teaching yeah. lessons yeah. here every day. Well, coming up, you've got a delivery. It's FedEx. Options ahead on the company's earnings report tomorrow. We're digging into how the options pits are tracking this one. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money is back in tune. You just might learn something. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Box. Catch that full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. Meanwhile, we're gearing up for FedEx earnings. The shipping giant is on deck to report after the bell tomorrow. And one options trader is betting that the company could be about to deliver. Tony Zhang has the action for us. Hi, Tony. Hi, Courtney. And as you said, they report earnings tomorrow. So options were fairly active here today. 60,000 contracts traded, which is about two and a half times the average daily volume. But the options market right now is implying a fairly muted earnings result, uh, only implying about a 5.8% move versus the 7.2% that we've seen over the last eight quarters. But we did see one trader make a fairly sizable, very bullish bet here on FedEx going out to July, buying the 330, 350 call debit spread, paying about $1.40 for it uh, for about 1,100 contracts on this particular trade. Now, this is a bet that based on the break-even price that FedEx is going to rally more than 11% between now and the expiration date in June, in July. So this is a fairly low probability, very high risk for reward bet that FedEx will beat earnings and rally significantly. In this particular case, this trader is risking about $155,000 in premium. But if FedEx rallies above the $350 upper strike of this debit spread, they're looking at over $2 million in profits on this particular trade. So very low probability, uh, very high risk to reward. 
Ooh, gotta have a strong stomach for that one. 155,000 for two million. Guy, you like talking about FedEx, UPS. What do you make of the company ahead of the earnings, or do you want to sit here and wait and see what they have to say? No, I don't think you have to wait and see. By the way, I worked at UPS, as you may or may not know. I was voted Employee of the Month after one day working there, Dan Nathan. It's the only day, the only day that holds to this day on the West Side. FedEx to me is a cheap stock, and I think Tim would agree with this. You put a market multiple on FedEx, it's north of 400. But even if you put just an 18 multiple on the $20, $21 they're going to earn. You can do the math. It should be trading north of 360 So I'm not sure what it's going to do tomorrow, but if it does dip after earnings, you buy it. And I think you stay long to it into earnings tomorrow morning. Tim, what do you make of it? You think this uh, options trader is going to see a payoff rally 11% here before it expires in July? I do. I, I do. Um, I, I think the sweet spot for FedEx is now between B2B and B2C. The integration to TNT has finally come through and, and is adding a lot of value. Um, if, if you look at where this company has come from, and, and remember, this was a company that for four or five quarters really disappointed folks, um, finally has turned it around. And, and I think the sweet spot, both of the economy and, and where we are in the cycle, um, it, it's, it's, it's a very strong story. Guy points out, you know, 20, 20, 50 a share on 22 earnings. Um, yeah, depending on what multiple you want to put out. I remember, we talked about this stock a year and a half ago when, when the multiple was in the, the 10, 11 per, uh, times numbers. And, and I think, again, it deserves a higher multiple based upon the efficiencies of the business and where the economy is. Yeah, I'll just mention one thing, though. Go back a couple weeks when UPS held that analyst day. UPS had that massive breakout a couple months ago after their great results in guidance. But then when they talked about costs and, and, and some of the input costs in general, that stock dropped 5% in a straight line. So I think expectations are probably not that low right here heading into the FedEx. So you might get an opportunity to buy a little cheaper. And by the way, did Tony Zhang, is he like stealing my look? I know you guys did kind of, uh, Tony, yeah, but you need a little height maybe, oh, yeah. in the hair. Well, I'll work compete. on it. Tony, uh, nice glasses. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was wondering if anyone else had any more Thank acronyms you. as well, because Tim threw out the B2C, yeah. B2B, TNT. What is no, it? I, I don't even else? know what an acronym UPS. means, so it's hard for me to say. But Tony Zhang, man, he's looking. He he's looks got the good. Wall Street Bets haircut, the WSB. That's what he's got. Oh, he's in on all the trades. Yeah, Look at go. that. Oh, he knows what's up. <laughs> yeah, you got to gotta come to Tony's school on Friday nights on Options Actions. So, as a matter of fact, for more options action, be sure to tune in to the full show on Friday. You'll see Tony and his buddies teaching you some lessons, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up next, we've got your final trades. It is time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn and start with Tim. Yeah, big energy chit chat. Chevron to me is right down the fairway. And the message from management continues to be one of capital discipline and capital return. I think, you know, 5% dividend yields, not necessarily why you're buying an oil company, although it always was. Uh, And the fact that they're going to continue to repurchase shares, I think, is a very strong story. But again, capital discipline is the story. And that's why I like this name. Chevron for you, Dan. Yeah, so that chatter in Viacom, CBS, and Comcast, that sounds really interesting to me. We know that that stock broke out in January at 40. Look at that. It went straight to 100 and then went straight down. What do they say, guy? Elevator up, escalator down, one of those things? Stairs up. Oh, yeah. Um, That thing's flyline here at 40. I like those sorts of rumors. If it's not Comcast, probably somewhere else. 
Great having you these three. How much fun you have so coming fun. on Fast Money. So I mean, you, all these daytime shows, you enjoy doing this stuff. I love it. Admit it. And Admit to candy, the audience. So that's fun, too. Exactly, we yeah. do. Twitter. I think no Twitter continues to grind high, although Dan doesn't. Nice haircut on Dan Nathan, by the way, tonight. He looks good. Yeah, not as good as Tony Zang, but it no, looks good. good. Never. It looks really nice. Well, thank you for watching cool. Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.